Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. This time on Gamers Week podcast. I'm kind of intrigued to see what Hogwarts Legacy is about. Uh, An MMORPG or, well... Is it really? Or is it just a... I think it's just an RPG. It says open okay. world RPG. So you're just playing by yourself. <laughs> what's wrong with that? You're fiddling your wand by yourself. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Man, my uh, CrossFit gym is right behind one of my favorite pizza places. Mm. So every time you open the door to leave, it's like, whoom, hits you in the face. Pizza. And yep. I'm like, oh, <laughs> God. So have you have you fallen victim to that yet? Nope, not yet. I've been very Ooh. good. But it is like, it's a full-on crisis every single time I leave. <laughs> and it's sitting there calling. It's like, hey, baby, hey. <laughs> you know you want it. Oh, no, I can't go back to you. Like, mm, come on, baby, just this once. Come on. <laughs> I know. We don't have to tell anyone. <laughs> go inside and the manager's like, we've been expecting you. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. I can't stay away. <laughs> I love you so much. Mm-hmm. All right, we ready? I guess. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 55, and today is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. Ooh, she almost slipped up. Nope, I got it. I was very careful this time. <laughs> Thanks everyone for tuning in. My name is Blue Williams and I'll be your host this evening, but I do have with me my two fine co-hosts. My first co-host is a man who would rather have a tattoo of Roseanne Barr's face than one of the N64. It's me. I know what you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> and my second co-host is the inspiration for a Crayola crayon color named 90s Acid Trip. Ooh. <laughs> The colors, Duke, the colors. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, please say hello to Ryan Payne, a.k.a. Retro Game Brews, and the one and only Donnie G. You're the reason in my life. You're the, the inspiration. inspiration. I don't know the rest of words. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> 
Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> All right. Well, if you haven't turned the show off already, let's go on to our reviews, reactions, and requests. First up is Ram Boski, who says, happy birthday, Gamers Week. Here's to many, many more, hopefully. You guys f***ing rock. Aw. Today is your birthday. It's my birthday, too, yeah. Retro Blast said, Starfield as Game of the Year? Maybe. My money is on Bubble Bobble Ultimate Legendary Gold Copper GX Alpha Edition. Seething. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Nocturnal said, My dumbass read this title as Garfield. <laughs> Instead of Starfield. <laughs> Instead of Starfield. I think there's a couple of Garfield games coming out this year, so you never know. Stranger Things But that's the Garfield game that we all need. Space Garfield. Space Garfield. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's time for the... Very important I chose that because that's how I feel today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I apologize (laughs) in advance. Uh, Yes, I'm extremely sluggish today. So uh, you sound like uh, old school cassette players when they started to run low on the battery. (laughs) (laughs) Master of puppets, (laughs) calling your name. All right. Well, I'm sure many of you are aware every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP or very important poll. And if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. And the question for this week was, what is your favorite Super Mario game music track? Coming in third place was the ground theme for Super Mario Brothers 1 with 19.8%. <laughs> Coming in second place was the overworld theme for Super Mario Brothers 2 at 20.9%. And taking home the prize here this week was overworld theme for Super Mario World. Uh, won it at 36.3%. And 23.1 of you said others. So let's look at some of the comments from the poll. Starting with Roos the Roader said, I voted overworld theme Super Mario World, but I have so many. What came to mind first is the special world theme before the original Mario theme is added in. Just the beginning part. The entire game has such a great sound to it. Sloss Anders said, Gusty Garden Galaxy from Super Mario Galaxy was love at first listen. It's the song that basically sums up the masterpiece that is Galaxy. Retro Gaming Dead said, this is tough. They are all some of the most memorable tunes in video games ever for me. But I think I have to go with the original underground music, the da-da-da-da-da-da. Dunna 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 <laughs> is so iconic. Maverick Girl BG said, Need more dire dire docs. And 
And last but not least was Geek With That with what kind of pants does Mario wear? Denim, denim, denim. <laughs> <laughs> but dumb tis for sure. Yes. Oh, was, I, I laughed. I legitimately laughed. I've heard, I think I've heard that, that joke before, but man, it definitely hit this week. Every time I hear it, man. <laughs> Two jokes at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so take a look at our choices for the week. Donnie, what did you go with? Vanilla Dome is hands down my favorite because it's got that heavy bass riff, that bass guitar, like boom, do doom, do doom, Let's get the Scooby Doo ending. Vanilla Dome is hands down my favorite just because of the heavy bass riff. And yes, while the entire game soundtrack is too legit to quit um <laughs> that that's more up my alley it's, it's it's like dank funk you know it's got that like extra bass to it i agree fantastic soundtrack now i will agree with the funk i just i'm not familiar with the dank funk genre <laughs> well get into it <laughs> <laughs> dank funk <laughs> blue what about you i also chose something from super mario world i like the castle theme okay yes yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it starts out with that, like the <laughs> piano, and then it's like, dun dun. Yup, exactly. The big bass when it comes in, dun, and it gets dun. louder and louder, and you're just like, oh my God, this feels so epic. <laughs> Every time I hear the opening, I think of Ghostbusters where he taps the piano and he goes, Ghosts hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. Just one of our little toys. Thank you, sir. Uh, so what about you, Ryan? Uh, so I went rogue. I decided to pick something that a game that wasn't even on the list. Look at that. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go with Super Mario Land, and it's the Muda World theme. It's... And that always puts me in a great mood. I've always loved that soundtrack in particular. Uh, Mario Land 2 also has a pretty decent soundtrack, but mm-hmm. for some reason that that always just hits just just right. It's in the second level, so it's not hard yet, <laughs> per se. <laughs> so you're still optimistic about how the game's going to go. And then, <laughs> then you get further into it, and it's like, oh, this is ridiculous. So yeah, I'm going to go with Muda from Super Mario Land. Right. You know, I think the takeaway of this entire poll is that the Mario games have some damn good music. Oh, yeah. Yes, they oh, do. Oh, my God. Koji Kondo is a god, basically. Uh, is he kind of a Koji genius? Nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> that applies to one man and one man only. I don't know. I think Koji Kondo might deserve the Kojinius <laughs> label more, but. We should have a celebrity depth match between Koji Kondo <laughs> and Kojima. That would be, I think, uh, I would pay for that. But see, Kojima would pull out a Metal Gear, Metal Gear Ray or Rex, and just wipe the floor with the other guy. But in those ones in particular, it's always the person you don't expect to win is the one right. that wins. Right. So what you're saying is Shigeru Miyamoto is going to come out of nowhere and just wipe the floor with both of them. Correct. Yep. Expect the unexpected. <laughs> always expect the Miyamoto. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our patron shout outs. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, Ducks in Disguise, Jillman Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, 
the Redox PDX family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Rerun Gamer, Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Gamatroid, Emo Esque, Bill Tucker, Rai Red's Number One Fan, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, The Wizard of Zardoz, Clayman 71, Great Cyaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek with That, Crunchy Corn, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, <laughs> JNL Gang, Love Retro BTW, and Steven Chan. Just slip right into the Peter like it's second nature. It did. <laughs> if you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, let's move on to our headline segment, which is, of course, proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Currently, they're playing through Cloak and Dagger and Tempest 2000. Visit them at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. I love Tempest 2000. Are you guys familiar with Tempest? Yes. A little bit, but I've never played it. Yeah, it's just like this really cool kind of on-rail shooter. And you're, you know, on this grid and you're moving back and forth, taking care of enemies. Super, super challenging. But the visuals on it are fantastic, especially for when it came out. So really, really great game. Now, I don't remember Cloak and Dagger all that well. I know it came out on the Atari, if I remember correctly. But have you ever seen the movie in the 80s, Cloak and Dagger? I have not. Oh, God, that was one of my favorite movies as a kid. It's starring our Lord and Savior, Dabney Coleman. And I hope Dabney Coleman is still alive. I think he is. Dabney Coleman was just a great actor back in the 80s. And I think maybe the early 90s, but very popular in the 80s. Add it to the list. (laughs) To the list. All right, first up from GameSpot, Cyberpunk 2077 class action lawsuit is settled for $1.85 million. Cyberpunk 2077's class action lawsuit from its investors has reached a settlement and CD Projekt Red will pay out $1.85 million to plaintiffs. Back in 2020, investors filed a class action lawsuit against CD Projekt Red and claimed that Cyberpunk's 2077 buggy launch state was hidden from investors, thus causing them to lose money. The settlement sum will cover eligible class members, settlement administration costs, taxes, attorney's fees, and costs. Eligible class members are defined as any investor who purchased a CD Projekt Reg stock between January 16, 2020 to December 17, 2020. Cyberpunk 2077 had a rocky and buggy launch, leading to Sony taking the game off its store, a surprising decision that led to CD Projekt Red stock prices dropping. Cyberpunk 2077 has later added back to the PlayStation storefronts after CD Projekt Red released patches that fixed many of the problems. CD Projekt Red originally intended for Cyberpunk 2077 to have a multiplayer component, but those plans were scrapped due to the company prioritizing fixing existing bugs in the standalone game. In the 2023, Cyberpunk 2077 is getting expansion called Phantom Liberty. 
This is a paid DLC, and it appears to be the only expansion plan for the game currently. CD Projekt Red is also working on The Witcher 4, though the release date appears to still be far off into the hinderlands beyond 2025. So 1.85 million. That's it? Yeah, I was thinking that's that seems right. like a really, really low number. <laughs> it is. It's a total drop in the bucket when you consider that this past September, the game cleared 20 million sales. And that's 20 million units, not $20 million. So that's if you're if you're saying it's 60 bucks per game. It's less than a percent. Because I think right. it, with that math, it would be like what, $240 million? And this is less than one percent of that. I don't know if that's enough to really make CD Project Red learn their lesson. Right. The thing is, though, I'm I'm speculating here, but I think because the game started to do better, maybe that has had an influence on how much this lawsuit has been. It, let's say it was decided, you know, in early 2021. My guess is that it would have probably been a lot bigger, all things considered, because mm. the stock has gone back up. They, you know, they provided those patches. A lot of people have downloaded the game. A lot of people have played the game, and it's considerably a much better experience. So it's almost like this was like a pre or like a little too early to sue CD Projekt Red. I think so. And, you know, uh, at least I got something. (laughs) 1.85 million to the plaintiffs for however many people bought that stock. Okay. And most of the costs for this class action lawsuit are going to go to the uh, the lawyers. Oh, absolutely. So let's just say 500,000 is going to be taken out to the lawyer's fees and all that stuff. And now you have like 1.3, 1.2 million spread out amongst all these class action lawsuit people. Where they're going to get like $4.99? It's funny you say that because I had a class action lawsuit that was for IKEA that I had bought in years ago. And then they reached out to me and said, hey, would you like to be a part of this? You just got to fill out this blah, blah, blah form. And I was like, sweet, free money. Uh-huh. And then I got a check in the mail for $11. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then also, let's not forget that there's no way that these investors were completely innocent in getting the game out buggy. There's no way. Right. Because they provide a great deal of the pressure along with the gaming public, of course, but a great mm-hmm. deal of the pressure to get the game out and get it profitable comes from the investors. So That's an I'm, interesting point. I'm not sure what CD Projekt Red was supposed to do to make them happy. Get the game out and it's broken or delay it again and again and again till it's not. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you bought stock in a company based on the fact that they said they were going to do something and they had to change it. Companies do this stuff all the time. Things don't always go as planned. So if you try to time the market, quote unquote, because of this and it backfired, well, sucks to be you. Looking up the stock price here, it looks like it picked up to about three hundred and twenty dollars a share, and it's now at one thirty-five. So it's been steadily going down, but it's not like it tanked to two dollars a share. <laughs> no, <laughs> and let's be honest, the the stock market is it's kind of like legalized gambling in a way. You know, you have no real right. idea how a, a company is is going to perform. So that's an interesting thing that this is a precedent, I guess, where you can start to sue companies if their stock doesn't perform the way you thought it would. Is that what is that the correct takeaway here? Uh, yes. And I'm going to start looking at a lot of companies. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe specifically ones that will probably do poorly so that right. you can just sue them. <laughs> can I go back in time and buy some Enron stock? <laughs> <laughs> I had WorldCom stock at one point. Did you? And it was bought back by the company. And that Uh, was the start of the demise. 
Stock buybacks. Great stuff. Yep. All right. Next up from Gaming Bible, the Elder Scrolls Six will last us decades, says Todd Howard. Starfield may be Bethesda's next release, but Todd Howard just can't stop talking about The Elder Scrolls VI this week. Howard previously teased that the opening sequence of The Elder Scrolls VI is something that they've had worked out for a very long time. It's apt wording because it's probably going to be a very long time until we find out exactly what it entails. In a recent interview on the Lex Fridman podcast, Howard touched on the scale of The Elder Scrolls VI. People are playing games for a long time. You know, Skyrim's 11 years old, still probably our most played game. And so we don't see it slowing down. He added, people will probably be playing it 10 years from now also. So you have to think, people are going to play the next Elder Scrolls game for decades, two decades. And that does change the way you think about how you architect it from the get-go. A two-decade life cycle is ambitious for any game, that's for certain. Then again, we know that Bethesda isn't lacking in ambition. Starfield is set to feature over 1,000 explorable planets, and let's not forget that it contains more lines of dialogue than Skyrim and Fallout 4 combined. Wow. 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 (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's a lot of opportunities to be mean to NPCs. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... They're talking about stretching a game out for decades. I, d- I just don't see it. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? Like one decade, sure. But 20 years of the same game? Come on. I could see it. How long have people been playing World of Warcraft and that kind of stuff? Right. I played World of Warcraft in 2004 when it started and got out of it right around 2012. So I play. I only played it for eight years. So there's probably people still playing it that have done the remasters, that have done the the new stuff, the old stuff, and still like every day log in to do their daily quests and all that stuff. And it's still fun for them. The only problem I have with that is that yes, people will play it. Don't get me wrong. People are still playing Atari games uh, on a regular basis, but it's not going to have the community size that it will the first 10 years your second 10 years when you wane it's it's going to be a handful of people there isn't going to be uh, a large community of people who are still playing it maybe maybe not they're planning on a very very long term life cycle with this game it's not a sprint it's a marathon (laughs) and so they may have additions and projects planned for it for the next 20 years who knows One of the criticisms of the video game industry is how big games are getting and how long they take to develop and how expensive they are. And there's no way to make that much money back on a typical game. Mm -hmm. So it seems like the logical solution to that is let's just extend the life cycle of the game, get more time out of one single project versus trying to go right on to the next project. But how do you establish a game that's going to last for 20 years? Uh, it sounds like to me, like all of the other games that we mentioned, that wasn't the plan up front. It wasn't going to be like, you know what? I think people are going to play this for the next 30 years. <laughs> it's happenstance, right? Right. Well, this has definitely never been done. That They right. will be the first to do it. Right. So how do you plan for that and, and do it effectively and get people in at the, the get-go to get them excited about it, provide them with enough content to do that, and then... What do you trickle more content as time goes on? You add more things. It, uh, do you have a, a plan for the next 10 years of what you want to trickle along? It's, it's all resting on this idea that people are really going to adopt this day one. Now, granted, it's 
an Elder Scrolls game. So naturally, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to check it out, but it's got to be a really, really good game to start off. So that's a bit of a gamble, too. Well, nobody knows if you're going to have a hit game once it comes out. Unless It's true, right? But you don't plan for a game to have that longevity as well with it because you don't know if it's going to be a hit game to start off. It could be buggy. It could be tw- <sighs> Cyberpunk 2077. Which just sold 20 million units. So. Right. Now, because, you know, yes, they've fixed it. But that reputation that they occurred from it has not helped them. That game could have been a much more adopted game if they had done it right when they first released it. When you develop a game, you believe it's going to be a hit, all right? You don't mm-hmm. believe it's going to be a massive piece of shit that nobody's going to play. <laughs> nobody's going to put any money into it. You're, you're like, man, I can't wait for this to release. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, this looks like a steaming turd. I'll buy it. I think now people are planning more so for that to try and extend the life of the games, get content that constantly runs out um, in, in droves or in waves or whatever to get people reinvigorated, re-excited for a mm-hmm. game again. So I, I think it's easier to do so now. The only thing is I'm saying I'm skeptical because it's never been done. So for me, it's it's like a, huh, let's let's wait and see kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. no, 100%. If I was going to put my money on a game to be able to do it, though, it would either be Elder Scrolls or Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Those would be the two franchises that I would say they have the best chance of creating a title that could conceivably live for 20 years. And Bethesda is the right people to do it. You're right in that mm-hmm. sense. But for me, it's, it's a wait and see. So I will come back to this. We'll, we'll, we're still doing the podcast in 20 years. Yeah, we'll check up <laughs> on it. We're finally getting Elder Scrolls 7. <laughs> I mean, there's every electronic under the sun that people have like put uh, Elder Scrolls or Doom or whatever. What's next? Am I going to be able to run it um, on my smartwatch? Sure, people have done that. You know, so as long as, pe- as as there's stuff that's continuing to be done with the game, that people can spread it over several different consoles. I think it adds to the what's the term I'm looking for? Adds to the panache, I guess. <laughs> the panache. Well, it shows what you know. In 20 years, we won't even have watches. We'll just have clocks embedded in our brain, so we always know what time. Ooh, it is. our HUD, our own HUD. What's an HUD? Heads up display. Oh. Jeez, Ryan, you call yourself a gamer? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I didn't, I didn't know if it was like a sex thing, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's an I, I, <laughs> IUD. IUD, there you go. Oh, okay, sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> easy mistake, easy mistake. IUD, HUD, whatever. Thank you for traveling along with this joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up from Games Radar, YouTube could broadcast gamers' lawsuit against Activision Blizzard acquisition. Part of court hearings involving random gamers suing Microsoft over its Activision Blizzard acquisition may be broadcast via YouTube. Last month, it was announced that a group of gamers from California, New Mexico, and New Jersey were united to sue Microsoft over its attempted acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Now, it appears part of the lawsuit could be broadcast for all to see via YouTube. Lawsuits will be heard in the Northern District of California, according to Foss Patents, a blog run by litigation advisor Florian Mueller. The court of the district offers second to none transparency, and because of this transparency, part of the case could be broadcast on YouTube. That high degree of transparency involves the judges not letting parties over-redact their findings. Is that a word, over-redact? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's in the blog. Okay, so. fair enough. Fair enough. 
and that key hearings may be broadcast via YouTube. Mueller writes, last month, the plaintiffs alleged that Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard would see reduced competition in the games industry. This was the basis for the lawsuit from the group, all of whom claim that they would be adversely affected by reduced competition should the acquisition go ahead. Considering Microsoft's proposed acquisition is already facing increased scrutiny from the UK government, and quite possibly the biggest challenge is a forthcoming FTC lawsuit, the timing of another lawsuit is anything but ideal. Currently, at least, there is no set date for the lawsuit to be heard in the Northern District of California. And my prediction for 2023 that this will not go through is seeming more likely. (laughs) (laughs) This is a silly thing to sue over. Well, if we can win money (laughs) and use this as a means to create some income for ourselves, then why not? Would they win money? Uh, It's not like they've lost money. Well, they're saying that it would be it would adversely affect them. So what there will be more than likely it will be compensation for that. But they haven't been adversely affected yet. Right. But in, in the court, you don't necessarily have to provide uh, all the time. A lot of times when you're talking about a civil suit, yes, you have to say, OK, I was adversely affected this way. But there is precedence to say that I could be adversely affected by this by going through and you would be compensated for it. Which is nuts, but it is the law. <laughs> so anytime a business raises their prices, I could just sue them and say that I could be adversely affected. If there is a previous precedence of that, then yes. <laughs> well, this goes through. I guess there will be. Yep. And <laughs> there you go. Lawsuit incoming. Right. So uh, <laughs> I would go and try to pass the bar. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered if I could do that. Just just, just like not even study for it and just go in right. and try to answer questions. <laughs> Aren't those expensive tests too? Yeah, they're like a couple thousand dollars to do. Jeez. So you could sit in on it and then, then you're like, all right, what's my score? And he's like, two. Two, yeah. <laughs> you, you spelled your name right. <laughs> Is that out of a hundred? No, it's out of a thousand, sir. <laughs> Damn it. I wonder what the viewership would be like on YouTube for a court hearing like this. It's like watching C-SPAN. Yeah, like court TV. Like that that's boring. Nobody watches court TV unless you are sucking on Werther's originals and looking at your AARP card. Mm. Right. No, it's Mm. like when you're in elementary school and they drag you to like your state capitol building to sit in on some sort of court thing that's going and you're all dying. All of you would rather skin your knee a thousand times over than sit through that. So and to sit there and watch this, like, hitherto wherein the documents show that the plaintiff did forego the aforementioned, like, uh, uh, <laughs> kill me. And I just want to, I want to see what the comment section, like the chat, live chat looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Judges clearly wearing a piece. <laughs> I just, I imagine it being a total show and that I would watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't they they live broadcast like Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard, and that was really popular. Yes, it was, and that was an absolute <laughs> show. Oh, well, 100%. That, yeah, that's a that's a different type of lawsuit. That's more like a Jerry Springer type of thing. Everybody's tuning in, hoping to see somebody throw a chair or something. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen with this. <laughs> Just imagine Xbox boss <laughs> Phil Spencer uh, stands <laughs> up and <laughs> throws a chair across the room, and everybody's going Philly, Philly. <laughs> <laughs> 
We should do that. We should make lawsuits and, and court hearings a lot more entertaining. Agreed. Even then, I'm gonna I'm going to uh, just watch a highlight reel of it instead fair, of fair. getting through this whole thing. But yeah, to, to to the whole point is, I think at first you're gonna have decent viewership, people just curious, but it's less more than a couple of days. It's it's gonna be two people watching. <laughs> right. That was the intended use of YouTube, I'm sure. Oh, of course, right. Just court transparency, so they don't over redact their filings. <laughs> Man, I hate when they over redact. Yeah, that's the worst. Can you change the the <laughs> thing to say overredacted? <laughs> <laughs> I think I can make one of those. Awesome. All right, let's move on to our top three new releases. Children of Silent Town, PS5, Xbox Series X, S, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Lucy is afraid of the forest, just like any other child. Every night, the echoing roars rob her of her sleep. Not even dreams are a safe place where she could play. People disappearing is nothing uncommon in the village, but this time, Lucy is old enough to investigate on her own. Or so she thinks. Children of Silent Town is a grim, beautifully hand-drawn point-and-click adventure game telling a mysterious and endearing story. Explore the town and its dangerous surroundings, meet its quirky inhabitants, solve puzzles, and master minigames. Vengeful Guardian, Moonrider, PS5. PS4, Switch, PC. Vengeful Guardian Moonrider is a side-scrolling action platformer that channels the golden age of classic 16-bit action games in a full-throttle quest for revenge. Created to defend a totalitarian state. Did I say that right? No. Totalitarian. Yep, yep. The totalitarian. The totalitarian. (laughs) (laughs) Created to defend a totalitarian. Yep, I, I'll get it. I'll get no, it. I'm just trying to help. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll read created to defend a, and you come in with totalitarian. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I like this. Okay, 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 okay. Created to defend a totalitarian state. Perfect. Nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> created to defend a totalitarian state. The Moonrider rejects its programming and now seeks vengeance on its creators. The gorgeously desolated world of Vengeful Guardian, Moonrider, flawlessly channels the halcyon days of the 16-bit era through intricate pixel art, inspiring a striking gauntlet across eight deadly stages. From start to finish, you'll enjoy seamless platforming action for a tight, focused experience that never lets its blade get dull. One Piece Odyssey, PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Xbox One, PC. A new RPG from the hugely popular manga and anime series One Piece, commemorating the 25th anniversary of the series. The Straw Hat crew are sailing across the new world in search of the next island and the next adventure that awaits them. But during their voyage, they are caught in a storm and shipwrecked. Dangerous new enemies, terrifying forces of nature, and more await them. Play as various members of the Straw Hat crew in a classic RPG set in the world of the popular One Piece anime. So, based on the three descriptions of the games announced this week, Ryan, which one are you picking? I am all in for Vengeful Guardian Moonrider, a 16-bit side-scroller. Oh, my God. This looks awesome. It looks like like Castlevania mixed with Contra Hardcore. I am all for it. In fact, it looks like there's a motorbike riding portion of it where it's, mm-hmm. you know, from, from behind you. There is, you know, the kind of the classic Castlevania look to it. It looks fantastic. Freaking tastic! Uh, Child of Silent Town, uh, not really my thing. Point and click adventures. Uh, I've gotten into them in the past, but eh, 
And the art style of this, not, <laughs> not exactly my thing. And I have never seen One Piece as far as the anime is concerned. So I would imagine that there's probably a lot of fan service for that that I absolutely would not get. So my vote is then, of course, by deduction, Vengeful Guardian. Excellent. Blue, what about you? I could never get into One Piece either, so I'll probably skip One Piece Odyssey. Children of Silent Town, part of me is really drawn to it because it's super gothy, super Tim Burton-y kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I wish it was a more of a platformer instead of point and click. Right. But um, I still really like the art style, so I may, if I, if I see it on sale, see it really cheap somewhere, maybe I'll grab it. But I am also really excited about Vengeful Guardian Moonrider. Some of these neo-retro titles are, in my opinion, some of the most beautiful games that have come out in the last several years, and this looks like it's going to be one of those. I really like platformers, side-scrollers, and love Castlevania, love Contra, so this looks right up my alley. Donnie, what about you? Uh, I think it's a clean sweep. Vengeful Guardian Moonrider. I am all for 16-bit era, 32-bit era. Uh, I want to see more of this stuff come out. I'm looking at this game and it belongs. It looks like it belongs on the Sega Genesis. Now, what, what would be even better is if somebody came out with this, like, could this game effectively be played on the Sega Genesis, did somebody use the same sort of dev kits or what have you to create this thing? Because I see no difference in the graphics from being able to play it on PC versus being able to play it on the Sega Genesis that's sitting on my shelf right now. Limited run games, we're looking at you. <laughs> right, exactly. they'll sell you a copy for Sega Genesis for like mm, 150 bucks. <laughs> now, that's the collector's edition. That's not the regular's edition, which is just like 30 or $35. Yeah, but not for the cartridge for a Genesis. Right, the, you got to buy the, the collector's edition to get yeah, the cartridge. Yeah, to get that. Right. <laughs> so I, I'm... I, I have the video here of the gameplay on Steam. Um, I didn't unmute the audio. I would love to hear the soundtrack from it because if it's anything like what I'm seeing visually, then my ears are just going to go to Pleasure Town. Hopefully it's not using the same sound card. Yeah, as I was going to make yeah. the same joke. <laughs> you beat me. Ting, 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 ting. So I think it's a clean sweep. I think we should come up with like a thing that we say when it's a clean sleep. Everybody goes, clean sweep. Something like that. We can do better than that. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll think on it. All right, on to our main topic for the evening from IGN. The biggest games coming in 2023. Following two years of false starts, 2023 looks to be the proper beginning of the PS5 Xbox Series generation as Unreal Engine 5 support builds and an increasing number of developers drop support for Sony and Microsoft's last-gen consoles. Starfield, Spider-Man 2, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and Final Fantasy 16 are only a handful of games built exclusively for new hardware, though PS4, Xbox One, and especially Switch owners will have plenty to look forward to as well. With dozens of games delayed to 2023, a greater emphasis on new-gen hardware and at least one major exclusive from each platform holder, next year easily houses the most exciting games lineup since the changing of the console guard in 2020. As we enter the new year, we've channeled that excitement into this list of 2023's biggest games. All right, first up is Fire Emblem Engage. Nintendo kicks off a busy start to the year with Fire Emblem Engage. The latest mainline Fire Emblem allows players to summon or engage heroes from the series' past, including the original protagonist and Smash Bros. staple, Marth. Forspoken. 
Following two delays in 2022, Forspoken is finally set to hit PS5 and PC on January 24th. Forspoken's isekai narrative concept sees protagonist Frey transported from modern-day New York City to Athia, a fantastical world of magic and deep mythology. As Frey journeys to return home, she'll learn otherworldly abilities that aid in both combat and traversal. Next is Hogwarts Legacy, one of the most anticipated games of 2021 and then 2022, is now one of 2023's biggest third-party releases. <laughs> Following two years of delays, Hogwarts Legacy is set to launch on February 10, fulfilling Harry Potter's fans' long-held wishes to live out their own Wizarding World fantasy. Players create a custom character and choose their desired house before beginning the game as fifth-year students at Hogwarts. The open-world RPG sets you behind your class classmates, meaning you'll have to complete quests to catch up. Next up is Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Star Wars Jedi Survivor continues the story of a more mature and more rugged Cal Kestis, who remains on the run as the Empire's most wanted fugitive. Expectations are high for Survivor, as its predecessor is the second best-selling Star Wars game of all time in the U.S. and number two on IGN's list of best Souls-like games. Resident Evil 4 Remake. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 Remake follows Capcom's recent reimaginings of Resident Evil 2 and 3, retaining the original game's foundational elements while adding updated gameplay and a visual update. The story also has been reconstructed to account for the series' narrative progression over the last 17 years. See? See? That's what I said. They're going to change. <laughs> That's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Reconstructed. Love it. <laughs> Next up is The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Nintendo has been careful not to show too much of Tears of the Kingdom, perhaps in an effort to preserve that same sense of awe and wonder that made Breath of the Wild so special. What Nintendo has shown is an expanded traversal system that sees Link exploring the lands of Hyrule and the vast skies above it. While we can't wait to uncover what secrets Tears of the Kingdom holds when it hits Switch on May 12th. Please, no broken weapons. Please, no broken weapons. Please, no broken weapons. I like the broken weapons. I'm just going to say it. Hot take. <laughs> Until you're you're in the middle of a boss battle and you right? break one. <laughs> that happened to me today. I'm replaying Breath of the Wild and I was down to like my last Boko Club. I was like, this better f work because otherwise I'm going to die. <laughs> but it worked. Lucky. Or good. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Next up is Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. Kill the Justice League is set in the same universe as Rocksteady's Arkham games. Though this time around, players will step into the shoes of one of the four DC supervillains, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, King Shark, or Harley Quinn, which everybody's just going to play Harley Quinn. Right. <laughs> Playing alone or with up to three other players, you'll venture through the metropolis to take out corrupted versions of DC heroes, including Batman, voiced one last time by the great Kevin Conroy. Street Fighter VI. The series' first new entry since 2016 introduces a robust character creator for its world tour mode, allowing your custom fighter to take on Street Fighter legends and master their moves. Among the 18 fighters at launch are series staples Ken, Ryu, and Chun-Li, as well as newcomers Jamie and Kimberly. 
Next up is Diablo 4. Blizzard's legendary action RPG series returns in 2023 with Diablo 4, the series' first ever crack at an open world. Diablo 4 taps back into the franchise's darker roots with a story centered around the big bad Lilith. It launches on June 6, after which Blizzard will continue adding support for years to come, anchored around optional cosmetic items and full story-driven expansions, according to Diablo boss Rod Ferguson. Final Fantasy 16. Final Fantasy 16 is one of the year's biggest third-party games and takes the series to Belisthea. Belisthea. There you go. That word. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) A fantastic land set against the backdrop of medieval Europe. Final Fantasy 16 trades in the open world of its predecessors for more area-based design akin to the semi-open world games like Pokemon Legends Arceus. Players control protagonist Clive Rossfield through real-time, fast-paced combat, while companion characters are controlled by AI. Redfall. Redfall is the first of two highly anticipated Bethesda games due out in 2023. It's an open-world vampire shooter from Prey developer Arcane Austin that sets you and up to three friends loose in the quaint island town of Redfall, Massachusetts, where vampires, human cultists, and twisted vampire gods run loose. And finally, Starfield. Xbox's flagship first-party release of 2023 is Starfield, the next single-player epic from Todd Howard and Bethesda Game Studios. It's Howard and the team's first original game in 25 years. And while it boasts plenty of originality and game systems, Howard himself likens it to Skyrim in space. Starfield is set to be Bethesda's biggest game yet, according to Howard, with over 1,000 planets to explore and a main questline that runs roughly 20% longer than any previous BGS game. So, what do we think of this lineup? Obviously, there's a lot of games that we're excited for that were not on this list. But I think this is not a bad lineup, all things mm-hmm. considered, especially the last two years. We've seen so many delays because of the pandemic, and now it feels like things are kind of starting to pick back up. So I think there's a lot to be excited for this year, even if we do just stick to this list, which nobody will, because there's a crap ton of other games coming out. They're going to be really, really good. But Anything on this list that you guys are specifically excited about? Uh, There are several games on this list that I'm excited about. And I got to be honest, I'm kind of intrigued to see what Hogwarts Legacy is about. Uh, An MMORPG or, well, is it really? Or is it just a... I think it's just an RPG. It says open world RPG. So you're just playing by yourself. (laughs) What's wrong with that? (laughs) You're fiddling your wand by yourself. Basically. I knew that was coming. <laughs> I would love to see something like this um, because I I think that the 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 world of Harry Potter is very expansive. And up until this point, the Harry Potter games have been lacking as far as quality is concerned. True. No, <laughs> the old EA ones. Yes, like yes. on PS2 and yep. PS1. Oof. I was thinking GameCube as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it would be nice for that fan base to have something that they can call their own. And it sounds like they've been delaying it enough. Hopefully that that's a yeah. sign that things are going to end up going well. And hopefully there is still a fan base for the game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Since, you know, that IP has suffered some in the past few years, but we won't get into that. Right. But they finally got a date. So mm-hmm. they, they, they pulled the Urkel. They kept asking, kept asking. Finally got their date. <laughs> I'm wearing you down, Laura. I'm wearing you down. <laughs> exactly. I'm wearing you down. 
um, Resident Evil 4 remake. Um, maybe this will be my chance to, to go in and what should I, should I play the original or should I yes. play the remake? No, you should play the original. Agreed. I should play the original first. Okay. Right. I'll get right on that. Yeah. Because otherwise uh, the remake is going to ruin it for you. Yeah. There is the, 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 the thing about the dog. I'll, I think I'll have to experience that, uh, <laughs> that mechanic first, instead of just bypassing from what we've seen in the, in the gameplay of the new game, the dog is dead and you don't, get to interact with it. Why did you have to bring that up? I know, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> the story is being reconstructed to account for narrative progression. What did that dog do to disturb <laughs> being reconstructed like that? It's taken away the choice of the, of the gamer. That's what it seems like. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a past, including dogs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's Street Fighter Six. Um, I'm, I'm eager to see that create a fighter and, and, and basically progressing throughout the game where you're just starting out learning moves and getting to the top ranks. Although I'm, I, I think they could have done better with the names Jamie and Kimberly. You've got great yeah. names like Blanca, Bison, Dalsim, and Kimberly. <laughs> Jamie and Kimberly sound like the ladies who go to like your mom's book club. <laughs> Maybe that's their shtick, you know? They're like, <laughs> they're an old lady duo. That, that beats up the people out with this first. <laughs> Pam and Ingrid throws their like bingo stopper marker thing at you. Yes, you know? <laughs> dobs you to death. That's their uh, their their fatality. Uh, you've got Diablo Four. You know they're they're making this an open world now. Are we basically going to have Diablo like World of Warcraft, where you can constantly get new? New cosmetics, which which is that's what it says. But how are they going to keep adding new content into Diablo? Is this going to end up being like your Elder Scrolls or your Grand Theft Auto, where they can keep this series or this particular game alive for ten plus years? Which is what they're doing with Diablo three. The game came out in twenty thirteen, and people are still playing. Hell, I was still playing it up until last year. I do like that it's going back to quote unquote their darker roots. Uh, Diablo two in particular has that kind of that dark, dank feel to it. Uh, except, of course, when you're in the desert, there's no dang. But uh, outside of that, <laughs> it would be cool to see that. You know, I've never played Diablo 3, so I can't speak to that. I played 1 and 2. But 3, I've always heard mixed reviews on. So it'd be interesting to see what they come up with 4 to try to maybe recapture the magic from 2. But I'm not getting my hopes up. For Spoken, I was really interested in. And then I played the demo and was almost immediately bored. Really? I don't know. I just, I really didn't care for it. And then she wears the magic bracelet that gives her powers, but the bracelet has a personality and talks to you and tries to be like all snarky and clever and make jokes. And there's this back and forth between the main character and the bracelet and the bracelet speaks to you through the speaker on, on the, the dual sense. And I really wanted to turn it off because it was making me crazy. I wanted it to shut up. (laughs) So basically my, Apple Watch is what you're saying. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> Apple Watch, but with more of an attitude. <laughs> when I tell her to F off, she has an attitude. <laughs> <laughs> she should, because you're being very rude. <laughs> so, yeah, I will probably skip Forspoken, skip Hogwarts Legacy, skip Resident Evil 4 Remake, unless... Boo! Unless people are saying that it's just absolutely amazing, but they're really going to have to convince me. What I'm looking forward to is Tears of the Kingdom. 
Of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. I Like I said, I'm replaying Breath of the Wild right now because I never actually finished it. I got like 60 hours into it and never actually finished it. So now I've got to go back and wrap it up. But I'm rediscovering right away why I love that game so much because it's just a big open world and you can just go out and get into all kinds of trouble. And it's a game that rewards curiosity, which I really, really like. So if you, anytime that you see something that looks maybe just a lot of place or where's this little path lead or whatever. It's almost never a waste of time. They took care to put something worthwhile almost everywhere you look. And so it feels like that's a game that you could never really be done with. And I imagine Tears of the Kingdom is just going to be more of the same. I have to admit, anytime somebody says everywhere you look, I think of Full House. Everywhere you look, (laughs) there's a heart, there's a heart, a hand to hold on to. Anytime you want to sing it, here's your guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm also pretty excited about Tears of the Kingdom uh, to get into this game from the ground floor too, to, to, to play it before anybody else kind of ruins it, I think would be fun mm-hmm. as well. Didn't really get that with Breath of the Wild. So this time around, I'd like to be a day one adopter and, and give it a shot. <laughs> you don't want to wait till everybody else has solved all the shrine puzzles for you. So you could just look up the solution. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe this. <laughs> I'll just log off Twitter for a month. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm surprised, though, that you didn't say you were most anticipating Final Fantasy 16. Because I am so nervous about that game. <laughs> There's part of it that looks great and parts of it that make me go, are you really kidding? And let's not forget that modern day Square Enix, they're just terrible. They're the worst. They're the actual worst. They're not like mm-hmm. Activision Blizzard bad, but they are so focused on everything that their their fan base doesn't want. Like, oh, let's have NFTs and let's have $10,000 figurines and all this stuff. And they're like, no, can we just have one good Final Fantasy mainline game? Please, just one. Just one. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Again, I'm not getting that at launch. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to wait because Final Fantasy 15 scarred me for life. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> See a therapist. <laughs> so what do you want to talk about today? Final Fantasy 15. I want to talk about the cup noodles. <laughs> I like cup noodles. Like God again. Right. Can <laughs> fit time today. <laughs> All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Leadus Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. This week, Awesome Games Done Quick is in full swing for its 13th annual event. Fun fact, AGDQ was originally inspired by a combination of speedrun marathons held by the Speed Gamers and a donation drive organized by Loading Ready Run, where four-man teams played what game? Tune in to The Leadist Podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find The Leadist on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. So the fact that he has put the word drive in quotations makes me feel like it's a clue. Are you sure about that? I I don't have any clue. That is literally all I have. (laughs) You don't have a guess. No. Because he put it in quotes, I would say it's some sort of racing game, maybe. uh, Redacted. Okay. Donnie, what are you thinking? My guess is obviously a four-player game. Something like... Redacted. All good guesses. All wrong. (laughs) 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 
Blue is more right with the driving Aha, piece. I'll take it. It is actually... Redacted. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Redacted. Oh man. So the idea is... <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. All right, thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybred's Gaming History 101. In today's lesson, we'll be discussing a product that was once considered the future of gaming and involves stepping into a pod, strapping on a three-pound headset to your cranium, and entering the world of virtual reality. We'll be talking about the gaming product, virtuality. Now, to kind of go back to virtual reality, uh, it's it's been a long time coming it's kind of like fusion energy you know it's 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 coming it, it's going to take over it's perpetually five years away right it's it, just a few decades that's all it's it's, it's going to be here in just a few decades every decade but interestingly enough that the technology behind vr hasn't really been something new and even has its roots as early as 1904 uh, where a French photographer figured out that if you take two images that were slightly different and display them to different eyes, so you had to kind of put it up to your face, uh, you could achieve 3D photos because of a concept called stereopsis. If you've ever worn those red and blue 3D glasses or played a 3DS with the 3D function on, you've experienced stereopsis. Stereopsis gives me a headache. It does. It really does. <laughs> So in uh, 1968, though, Ivan Sutherland and Bob Spruill uh, made the first ever VR headset called the extremely epic, the Sword of Democles. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, which was so bulky, it needed to be suspended from the ceiling. Uh, while not <laughs> technically VR, uh, we, you know, as we think of it, it was more kind of augmented reality. Uh, the virtual environments, though, were simple, like frame model rooms. Uh, wireframes. A cool concept, but let's be honest, the computer power for the time didn't really allow for you to do anything more you know, immersive. Up until the 1980s, VR was strictly used as a way to help train people in the medical, aviation, automobile, and military industries. And it wasn't until 1978 where NASA's JPL and MIT made the Aspen movie map, which was the first navigable virtual world that consisted of a very basic tour through the streets of Aspen, letting you choose between three modes, summer, winter, and polygons. <laughs> Aspen, yeah. where the beer flows like wine. <laughs> exactly. Now, wasn't it, though, until 1985, where the company Virtuality uh, was able to use the research from Dr. Jonathan Walden's research via, I, I believe it's MIT, to start making VR machines. Now, the system used by Virtuality uh, was extremely complex for its day. It consisted of a few key components. So the headset display, the headset magnetic sensors, and the handheld joystick. Now, there were two types of models, the SU or stand up and SD or sit down. Really, really inventive names. And the first model of stand up basically had no barrier for the player. So if the player got too into the game and began to wander, they'd be violently jerked back when they had reached the end of the slack of the wires connected to their headset. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, later on, what they did is they added a pod with a ring around it uh, that was at waist level to basically prevent players from moving too far. 
Now, the headset display features two screens that were placed on the side of the large protruding front section of the unit. The earlier model's uh, front section stuck out as much as six inches from the player's eyes. I don't know. Do you guys remember those? Where I, it, Yes, I do. I, I specifically remember these units in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I might have been on one once or twice. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was very impressed at the time. It wasn't anything grand, but it was just like, oh, VR is like here. Everybody's gearing up for it. Now, interestingly enough, it has it was featured in, I think, one of your favorite movies, which has uh, one of your favorite taglines, which, of course, is hack the planet. Exactly. (laughs) It's the one the plague was using in his uh, apartment, if I'm correct. That's right. Yep. Yep. So it, it displayed them on the side uh, and basically used a mirror to display the images in front of the player's eyes, but it only gave the players a 65 degree perspective in their viewing field. So if you compare that to today for VR headsets, they give you over 100 degrees of viewing field. So uh, as you can imagine, it was pretty tight. Now, the frame rate was a whopping, whopping 20 frames per second. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> But considering the type of games that were being displayed, this actually wasn't really a, a, a deal breaker. Uh, very, very simplistic polygon shaped stuff that, you know, didn't require a whole lot uh, of the viewing field to be kind of interactive. Now, how the headset works is and really how it tracks your movement. So uh, the way the VR headset would work is if you would move, you know, kind of left, right, up, down, like roll and yaw, the screen would follow you more or less. And you'd be able to kind of interact with the entire game uh, just by where your head was pointing. Now, the way they did that was that the the system itself actually created small magnetic fields and that how the the field would change based off of your movements uh, would indicate where your head was facing in the game itself. So it would transmit these like uh, electromagnetic fields. And as you move to the left or to the right, it would recognize or up and down. It would be able to kind of track where you were. And surprisingly, it was actually pretty sensitive. Uh, if, I don't know if you remember, Donnie, being in, inside one. But, uh, you know, if you look to the left, it didn't have any lag. It, it followed along with you pretty easily. I'm not going to lie. I don't remember it. Okay, that's fair. That's so long ago. Mm-hmm. Now, the joystick uh, was this like closed loop thing that you put your hand through. And uh, it also used uh, kind of the electromagnetic field to track where you were, but it included uh, a trigger uh, for your index finger. And then on top of it, it was this like uh, roll guiding wheel for your thumb. So if you needed to like change weapons or something, you would use that as as your guide. If you wanted to shoot at something, you would pull the trigger, but you would actually aim in the virtual space based off of where your hand was. So kind of similar to what you would see uh, with like a Wiimote. Now, the cool part that I always liked about these was that the system also featured an external display hooked up to a CRT television that would allow non-players to watch what was the player was seeing in the game. I always thought that was kind of a cool feature, you know, rather than just watching some loser stand inside this thing with this monstrosity t- attached to their face, you could actually see what they were seeing. Now, I actually had some a pretty interesting experience with this. And it's actually why I wanted to talk about this. So I remember my family and I went to New Orleans uh, when I was, I want to say between 10 and 11. So that would make my brother between 13 and 14 years old. And we were walking uh, around uh, and there was Planet Hollywood. 
And right next to that Planet Hollywood, within there, uh, there was this shop that was selling. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember those uh, holographic like cards that you could buy that were overly expensive. Right? <laughs> Not really. I I don't know. Yeah, I don't remember them either. Yeah, they would put the they. I remember specifically they had them on like display, and you would, they, you know, it's like a dragon inside or something like that, right? And they also had two of those. Actually, I take it back. They had three of those VR units in the shop as well. And so naturally, everybody comes in and says, "Hey, I want to play the VR." The only way you're allowed to play it is if you bought one of those $25 plus hologram cards. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, if memory serves me right, gave you about two minutes and 30 seconds on the game. So, geez. yeah. Yeah. So I played kind of like the original game for it called Dactyl Nightmare, uh, which was this multi-map thing that included a grenade launcher weapon and, and this pterodactyl that would fly over top. And if you think polygons on the PlayStation 1 or N64 were bad, this was way worse. We're talking like Dire Straits music video from the 1980s for <laughs> I want my MTV. Like, <laughs> yes. That's what they look like. Yeah. But the one thing that I, I, you know, obviously it was really interactive. It was super cool. You know, I've got this huge headset on. My, you know, my family's cheering me on because they're watching the television as I'm going through it. But the biggest disappointment was that you only had like two and a half minutes. And I don't think I figured it out because I was obviously too young at that point. So I had no idea what I was doing. And then all of a sudden, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds was over with. Where my brother got to play the other game for it, which had a much smaller headset. So my guess is that it was one of the later units. It wasn't because I, I think I got like the first one, you know. Uh-huh. And it was a robot shoot 'em up game. And you would like, walk through these tunnels and stuff and i remember specifically saying to my brother look up look up and he looked up and it was like uh this tunnel above him and all these robots were crawling down it it was it was actually pretty cool uh from what i remember but that always intrigued me about vr and i've wanted one of these things obviously never going to fit inside my house and it's probably going to be extremely expensive to buy one but i would absolutely love to get my hands oh yeah now, they did come out with a bunch of other games, though, for it. Dactyl Nightmare that we talked about, Gridbusters that my brother got to play. There's also a game called Hero, which was a locked door puzzle game. There was Legend Quest, which was kind of a fantasy adventure game. Battlesphere, which was a space battle game. XRX, which was a mech warrior game, which I would love to try that out. Uh, it was one of the sit down units, so it looks like it feels like you're in a Gundam. Uh, There was a Demolition Derby game, a Harrier Jump Jet simulator, and there was also a Biplane Dogfighter simulator. Now, as I understand, some of these games are actually available on Steam. I'm not sure exactly which one is. Uh, I want to say Flying Aces is available. Uh, But again, uh, expect some of that polygonal hell. (laughs) So as far as the units were concerned, though, at launch, the system was actually pretty popular. It was in the news. There were a lot of trade shows that it was being played at, and the lines were really, really long for it. But there was one big problem. It was extremely expensive. Any guess on how much it would cost you to take home one of these units in the early 1990s? $4,000. Okay. I'm going to say $4,001. Oh, we're playing that game, are we? Uh, <laughs> no, no I'd, I'd say probably close to 10000 
You are both way off. It was $60,000 to purchase one. <laughs> Which back then, that was uh, like a Maserati was $60,000. Right. Yeah. I know which one I'd rather have. So, you know, that made it difficult. So if you're an arcade and you want one of these things, you got to throw down $60,000 and think to yourself, all right, what's the break-even point for this? Like, what do I need to charge for this game? The other problem was, of course, waning popularity of arcades at the time. So, you know, the virtual reality unit uh, was was essentially doomed to fail, let's be honest. And eventually they ended up clearing bankruptcy in the late 90s and sold off the rights to the units and to a number of the companies to kind of recuperate their costs. Sad to see it go. It was way ahead of its time. It's just when it costs $60,000 to buy one of these units, in no universe would that make sense. With the, the ROI on that does not exist. <laughs> it makes sense in the Sky Mall catalog. Sure, uh, right. Look yeah. at on, yeah. air, on an airline and you're like, oh, my, uh, my cousin who's, uh, who's a big tech billionaire. Yeah, he could, he could bring one of these home. He could probably outfit his basement with like 20 of these and just invite people over for random parties. Sure. Now, virtual reality, you know, they, they took some risks uh, to provide the world with, with, let's be honest, it was kind of an awesome gaming experience, something that nobody really experienced in, in, with that before. But similar to previous attempts at VR, the cost of the tech was prohibitive for the average consumer. But without companies like this looking to kind of push the boundaries, we probably would not have things like the Oculus or the PSVR today. Agreed. Well, thank you for attending today's lesson. And just a reminder, if you have any ideas for a story you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com and we might feature your suggestion. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for listening to episode 55 of Gamers Week Podcast and a big thank you to the Retro Game Club Podcast, the Leadest Podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. Email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. And finally, since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. Thanks everyone for listening. That's it for us tonight. And we will see you next week. And don't forget to hack the planet. Hack the planet. Tension breaker had to be done. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everyone. Good night. You're the reason in my life. You're the The inspiration. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like... (laughs) (laughs) I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's d- in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> <laughs>
Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.